Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Should a psychotherapist use intuition and even psychic abilities with clients? What is intuition? What do the clients think of it all? Never mind the colleagues. Indeed. So welcome to the 896th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM, FM, AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app on TalkStream Live and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those intuitive questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And uh, today we're bringing you a new guest on a subject we've looked into a few times over the years, but really haven't looked at it in quite a long time. Coming to us via Skype today is clinical social worker, certified group psychotherapist, and teacher, Betty Friedson. Based in Maine, Betty is the author of Soul Mother's Wisdom, Seven Insights for the Single Mother, and contributes to a number of magazines and blogs. Her new book, Other Realms, Other Ways, A Clinician's Guide to the Magic of Intuition, was released in February. Her website, Betty Friedson, that's Betty with two E's, B-E-T-T-E, Friedson.com. So, Betty Friedson, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be with you. Well, it's great to have you with us. So I guess we'll kind of just jump jump right into the beginning of things because that is a very good place to start. As uh, Julie and Andrews, Mary Poppins, yes, yeah. as Mary Poppins uh, once said. So take us through a typical session uh, where you would use intuition or, or psychic abilities, and, and how does it work? Wonderful question. So the beginning of any session for the therapist is to listen, and the listening means, if we're going to use intuition, to be in what I have learned to call a state of readiness to listen within what your client presents to you, the places that are most important, to listen for the language, the metaphors, the insights of the client presented in the middle of the problem. And so to use intuition is on two levels. To be paying attention to the therapist's own hunches and ideas and listening for a place to intervene to encourage the client that they have access to something beyond conscious awareness. And then in any given session, that would happen in wherever place the therapist would determine it could be most useful. i give you an example of, of a session in my book, which I call Jay and the Family Hex. A man, I think it, in, it may have changed the gender in the book, a woman who wanted to leave her current spouse to be with someone else, but felt terribly afraid that her family would basically ostracize her, even shun her. And so it seemed to me that she was under a spell put upon her by the family and was paranormally, if you will, entranced with this spell, which I presented to her as a hex. And I suggested that we intuitively work together to unhex the hex. How is that done intuitively? Partly through hypnosis, which I talk about in the book. But if you think about 
in your book, uh, beyond the parent, be, behind the paranormal, you talk about how do we know anything, which I love. And so one way to know something is to intuit and then to use that intuition in a hypnotic trance. And I talk about that in the book. A therapist would probably need to be trained as I am in hypnosis. However, you could be trained in meditation too. So any given session, listen, utilize the client's material, utilize your own hunches and many ideas of where to intervene. I hope that answers your question. Well, there was a question. Yes, thank you. The question is, what is intuition? Is, is it a level of psychic ability? Is, is it a survival instinct or, or all of the above or what? Or is it the layman's term of a gut feeling? Oh. Well, all of the above in terms of a gut feeling, but I'm going to tell you what intuition isn't. Okay. It is not a thing. It is a normal way that the mind works. So how do we know something? We know something through the scientific method. We can know something from our own thoughts that present themselves to us. However, based on experience, we construct a reality, and we construct a reality that makes sense to us as a person. What is intuition? Intuition is simply another way of knowing. It is, as you have said in your book, it's part of the whole picture. And so in other realms, other ways, I present a a three-step schema for utilizing, developing, and using intuition. First step is accept that it is a way of thinking and knowing, and it has features that are mental, emotional, sensory, and sometimes go beyond the five senses to the sixth sense. So it has a phenomenological makeup. It's not a thing. Unfortunately, some people think that the word psychic, it means fake. Psychic for me is another way of talking about that dimension of the mind that is non-conscious, that is intuitive. Another myth is that intuition is only about what you don't know. This is incorrect because if you think about the multiverse, intuition is a way of thinking about accessing all the information that's out there, Hmm. out there in the multiverse. And it comes in many different ways on many different channels. So I really um, encourage therapists and also my clients and individuals I work with just in a lay context, learn how to access that information. Now, when you have the garden variety client say, how do you explain this and how do they respond? Another good question. It's very individual. Again, remember, the beginning is to listen. Mm. So if somebody really thinks that, you know, a psychic is somebody who's going to, you know, entice you off the sidewalk and scam you, that's going to be a very different explanation than somebody who's already got a belief in something that's behind the paranormal. And so I would, it depending on who the person is, probably the garden variety could be a petunia, 
It could be an impatience, or it could be a blooming verbena. Depending on their perspective, I would explain it accordingly. And I would explain it as something about the non-conscious mind, the mind that knows on a deeper level and can help you manage your stress, solve your problems, make decisions, improve your relationships, and live a more peaceful life. I will go in with all of that or a piece of that depending on what makes the most sense in my assessment to that person. Okay. Uh, ben, if you have something, um, uh, we have uh, something from a listener here. I, I, I do. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of, kind of piece, piece together my, my, my thoughts as, as we go along. Kind of want to take a few steps back. Um, now, my, my psychological knowledge only comes from a few college courses, so I might be a little, little out, out of touch. Uh, so, use the word schema. Um, I vaguely remember the term, but could you define it for us very quickly? Sure. So a schema is, the way I'm defining it here is a series of steps mm. that are linear but are not also linear. It's also a paradigm. It's a way of putting understanding into order. In Soul Mother's Wisdom, I talk about each individual having a personal schema, and it is the way that person understands the world and makes meaning through their experiences, their education, etc., their relationships. So for a schematic approach, which I talk about in other realms, other ways, it's a series of steps. And in all of my schematic approaches to problem solving and stress management, I always embed a step that opens to the greater understanding that's behind the paranormal, if you will, or is in non-conscious mind. So really, schema, another way to say it is its type of structure. Mm. Makes sense. Okay. There's a really interesting thing I, 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 I kind of caught and I, I wrote down. Um, it, now, you, you explained um, sort of like a, like a family hex. I think that's a really interesting term. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, to ask if there was a comparison or if it's the same thing, you know, like, um, like generational trauma. Or, or anything in in that realm um, is is there a relation between the two ideas? Are they the same thing, or is it, or are we talking about two different things? It's a, that's a, an actually a really intelligent question. So within everyone's background, almost everyone has had something difficult happen, and some people have had more trauma than other people. So again, remember, as a therapist, I'm listening. I'm listening to the story. And if I discover that there's trauma, something might pop into my mind, as it did with Jay. What came to my mind was he's, it's almost like he's under a spell. So that was something intuitive for me. Generational trauma is a fascinating idea because even... Scientifically, we now know that trauma in generations transmits even genetically. And I, I don't know a lot about epigenetics, but I know science is learning that trauma can, and the effects can be transmitted. 
So if someone comes with generational trauma, I'm going to intuitively select a component of that trauma. You can't treat karma like a thing. Again, intuition isn't a thing. Trauma isn't a thing. It has components. And so I'm going to pick a component that comes to me intuitively as well as clinically as the most important component to address with the understanding that if you can address one piece of a system, of a schema, if you will, Mm. that other pieces will shift. Mm. Interesting. Uh, You're giving me a lot to ponder, uh, and I will ponder more as we take a listener question. It reminds me of a conversation, a long conversation. Uh, I was in Australia in 1979, and uh, an Aboriginal elder told me, well, the, the curses only work when you believe in them. But everybody believes in them, so they always work. You know, so mm. that's real. I have a dear colleague who's done a lot of investigation investigation of low country shamanism. He's in South Carolina. Oh yeah, and yeah that's got to be Paul Leslie. Yes, of course. Uh, mm. Doctor Paul, a very good friend of ours. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. He and is. we've talked a lot about the belief system. That's a another show entirely could do with Paul. Yes, and. Me. It's it's fascinating material. Absolutely. Writing that one down. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have a question here from Phil. Phil is our show reporter in the heart of the Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut. And uh, Phil's question refers to the work of uh, Eric Erickson, a 20th century psychology I happen to, psychologist I happen to like. I studied uh, him in grad school when uh, Stegosaurus was grazing on the town green. So. <laughs> yeah, it must have been hard to get to class. Uh, now and then, yeah. yeah uh, so Phil writes, Dear Betty, uh, you mentioned that you take uh, an Ericksonian uh, approach in your work. I've been intrigued by the writings of uh, Ruben Bettino and uh, Thomas South and their use of metaphor therapy. I believe that our brains are wired to learn through metaphors and storytelling. Uh, have you done metaphor therapy? And if so, can you explain how it works? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. This person asked one of my favorite questions. We Meta- have a very intelligent audience. Clearly you do. Metaphor is one of my most um, exciting topics of investigation, and I'm actually teaching, um, been teaching on that. And if the listener is interested, you can get in touch with me um, behind the scenes. So metaphor is the way we speak. You know, we speak in metaphor. You know, Paul was made a joke about the stegosaurus, He's saying, I'm really old, but (laughs) but he's really not. But the stegosaurus was his metaphor, and then Ben said that must have been hard to get to class, and we all knew what it meant, but Paul didn't say, I'm a really old man, which he's not. (laughs) It's not the years, it's the mileage, Betty. (laughs) So we speak in metaphors, and the clients speak as a therapist. The clients come in with their metaphors. My life feels like... I'm walking a tightrope, okay? That says a lot. Now, I can get a sense of what that means to this person, but it's important to know what it means to the person himself. But then I might, and I just reviewed Paul Leslie's new book, wonderful book about themes in therapy, and he talks a lot about the meaning that people make out of metaphors. As a therapist, we can use new metaphors. Or I might say, well, imagine you're on that tightrope 
And imagine that all of a sudden, somebody really caring presents you with a net. And what would it be in that net that would make you feel more safe? And I might do something else, too, just that's what comes to me. So I was thinking that I would say that Paul could ride the Stegosaurus to class. And that would then be interesting, if, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be interesting? And <laughs> then think about how empowering that would be. It would be a little bit like somebody flying on a dinosaur in a game of thrones mm. and all that power. So take the metaphor and develop it. The Ericksonian approach that I use is the work of Milton Erickson, um, another great Erickson of the 20th century who developed evocative ways of helping people to shift into more adaptive places in their lives. Okay. We have, uh, for something completely different, a question from Peter in Bogota, Colombia. Oh, cool. And uh, right in there in the middle, Ben, if you would. Lovely. Uh, Peter, one of our, our many, many great intelligent listeners, always writes questions to us. Uh, and he writes, please ask Betty if she has ever, uh, or, uh, excuse me, let me start again. Please ask Betty if she has used uh, hypnosis to help people recover memories from paranormal events. Uh, can you share an example? And there's a second question, but we'll go with the first one first. Not specifically. You know, no one has... I've done a lot of psychic readings, and I think I've talked to Paul about that in the past. Yeah, we've had some great conversations. We have, indeed, and hope, hope for more. Um no one has actually come to me saying, can you help me discover memories of paranormal experiences? If someone came to me with that question, I would say I would be happy to give it hmm. a try. And then we would do hypnosis, which, again, is a whole other topic because hypnosis isn't just I read you a script and then you stop smoking or I read you a script and then you have the memory. Actually, I did, there is a case in my book that's close to the answer. It's called Mario's Magic in Other Realms, Other Ways, about a client of mine who was very stuck with some problems, and I took her to see a man, we went together to see a man who did past life regression, and she discovered information that she believed she did not go to research it, but she believed it because it was so pertinent, information from a past life that helped her in her current life very immensely. So I'd be curious what, you know, this this listener is really looking for, and I'm certainly open to, you know, thinking about that for someone, but I, I don't guarantee because we never know exactly what's going to happen in this dimension. Uh, that's that's a fair point. Uh, you kind of touched on the second question a little bit, so we'll we'll jump right into that one, uh, which Peter goes on to ask. Some critics say that hypnosis can implant false memories. Is that true? Um, that is not true, absolutely not true. But what it can do, and this is where people get mixed up. First of all, the first time I knew I was being hypnotized by Herb Dewey, whom I mentioned in the book. I wish he was alive so that you guys could interview him amazing man. He hypnotized me and I said, 
That's it? He said, Betty, you're not under my spell. People think that when you get hypnotized, you're under somebody's spell and they can make you think things and do things. This is where people get mixed up. What we do clinically in hypnosis, and this is a very important point, is help people to access latent, dormant, and unrealized resources of their own inner mind. It's not about saying to somebody, okay, now, you're going to, hmm. But it's helping people to realize they can shift, they can think differently, they can feel differently. So it's an empowerment, not power over. This is very, very important. And it goes to a very key point of misunderstanding about hypnosis. So I hope I've clarified that for your listener. Well, that's disappointing in a way to me because when Ben was uh, little, I, I would, would love to have hypnotized him, clean your room, clean your room. But uh wouldn't have worked. I, I understand that well. Yeah, okay. Hey, I, I, I clean my room now. That's what matters. Well, you have a wife who makes you do it, yeah. Well, hey, right. she doesn't have to ask. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Better late than never. Uh, now, I was, we were going to ask you, in your book, throughout your book, uh, Betty, you, you spell the word magic with a K as uh, in the Wiccan tradition. Is there a reason for that? It's actually in the Scott Miller tradition. Okay. Scott Miller, whom I have great respect for as a clinician and a friend, wrote the foreword of my book. Mm-hmm. I met Scott after reading his article in 2017 in, in the Psychotherapy Networker called How Psychotherapy Lost Its Magic. And the key to the whole magic piece was out of the box. You know, paranormal, psychic, whatever we can use to help our clients, we owe it to ourselves and to our clients to use. And so I was so excited with the K, I thought that it would imply, you know, just beyond what we typically do. And that has been a question that people have asked, like, are you saying, you know, you're a Wiccan tradition? Again, a, a tradition that's so misunderstood as evil, and it's it's yes. so it's so not. Exactly. So the K is um, because I'm implying that we want to go beyond, we want to go into what's creative. We want to go into what's in the client's repertoire that can be used that the client doesn't even know they have, which I just explained in talking about hypnosis. Um, I remember in my very first year of social work school, um, also I, I rode to school on a stegosaurus. Ah, mm. <laughs> so we share armor, armor pants because well, you needed it at BU. Spines, well, yeah. <laughs> find a parking place was hard enough with <laughs> So we we were gathered together as as first year students, very beginning of school, and we were shown a movie. It was a movie of a of a mother who was Puerto Rican who was grieving. She was grieving the loss of a daughter. The social workers tried everything they knew in the social work repertoire of the time and this woman's grief would not remit. Finally, someone had the brilliant and correct idea to bring in a healer from her tradition. This healer came, they channeled 
the daughter who was dead. They channeled her. This is an, an interesting word, channeling. I could talk about. Oh, yeah, we've done shows on that, yeah. It's very interesting. So they channeled the daughter, and the healer said, she's fine. She's at peace. She wants you to go on. And that was enough for the mother to begin the healing process, recovering from this loss. And so the K in magic is about listen again for the client's frame of reference their ethnic background, their ethical beliefs, the things that really matter to them, they will be revealed, and often it's revealed in metaphor, going back to the metaphor idea. Then use whatever you can. Had a woman come to me about four years ago. She's grieving for the loss of her mother. Mother had been killed in a tragic, crazy accident, driving out of a strip mall in Florida. I need I say more? No. And I know what you mean. Sad, horrible story. So so I was doing my typical social work approach, which is correct and good. Tell me about your mother. Oh, this is so tragic and what happened. And one day after about four sessions with me, she came in and she said, Betty, I feel so much better. And I thought, hey, I'm doing good work. I said, well, tell me. She said, I went to a medium. And the medium channeled my mother. And my mother told me she's fine. And I thought to myself, I can do this. Well, I said to her, let's do some more of this. Would you like to do it here? And I explained what you asked me to talk about. How do I explain intuition? I explained to her that maybe there's a way of connecting with this energy. If we believe that the energy continues on, perhaps... So the body is gone, the medium was able to help you connect with your mother's essence. She loved it. That comprised a year of therapy, among other things. Talking to the mother, she talked to the mother, I talked to the mother. It was an eye-opener for me. And often when I teach about intuition and an intuitive approach to therapy, I often start with that story because it was absolutely a lesson for me to use everything i can okay we're going to take our bottom of the hour break here you're listening to behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on WON 1240 a.m and 99.5 fm in new england's beautiful but very sultry blackstone valley today with our great guest from the lovely state of maine betty friedson we'll be right back so stay with us The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And hello, it's Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and FM, and we're back with Betty Friedson on Behind the Paranormal. Now, Betty, um, in your first, well, one thing, and, and we've talked about this, uh, we've had a number of uh, great conversations off the air and, and will again, um, 
we're we're really a little bit nervous about mediums and that sort of thing. And you know, we, we told you why, and our regular listeners know why because you don't know what some of them don't know what they're talking to. But on the other hand, you know, you have people who claim that um, that they they have uh, talked to their their loved ones, and do you have any idea what that meant to me and that sort of thing? And obviously, that that means uh, something. And I I can't uh, I'm in no position to. Um, you know, question something that's meant so much to someone. Um, but it, it's something that I think needs to be approached with great caution and care, uh, again, because uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And there are, there are um, uh, people out there who uh, are charlatans as well as uh, Houdini proved and everybody else. So it's just a matter of being being careful uh, when, when you when you do that. So that's just my two cents on that. Um, I don't know if you have any further comment on that. I'd say your two cents is worth a lot because you're right. If people want to go to a medium, go with the idea that most likely your loved one is not going to materialize in the womb. And go with the idea that it's really about an energy that may be even coming from one's own memories of the person. There's no way to know. I would research who they go to, go to somebody who's really got some sort of training and background who isn't just on a sidewalk somewhere. And that doesn't mean there aren't good persons on the people on the sidewalk, but it's a risk. You just don't know when you just walk in. And one thing I'm here, I appreciate your thoughts on this too. And again, this is something else we've gotten into is what we refer to, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot about the island theory when I hear people talk about mediums and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, our theory is that, you are your own best medium, you know, to, to use the word. Uh, it's, it's not different energies, it's one energy. As, as our, our good friend Dr. Amit Goswami, the, the physicist slash mystic, has said, uh, the really, the, the sense of self is an illusion, it's a sense of self-reference. And the unity is already there. So that's, that's just our thought. I mean, maybe we're wrong, but, uh, you know. We're wrong, but I'd say probably you're not since it's consistent with my thought. Um, a dear friend of mine, Nick Duva, who lives in Georgia, he's been just an amazing supporter of my work. He wrote something to me the other day, and I'm going to read a little bit of it because it speaks to what you just said. Sure. He said that it's interesting that to many, being psychic seems to be somehow a false ability. Perhaps it is because many cannot see they are themselves anything beyond their body and their mind, when in actuality their body and the mind is not who or what they are. The body and mind are simply the vehicle through which the true person or psyche or soul operates. This is his views. So in my view, he, this is still Nick, this process of developing one's psyche or intuition is an effort to enable the true you to operate more clearly through body and mind. That's very I'm, apt. Yeah. It's real. And then he... You know, he ended the comment by saying, maybe this doesn't make sense. I said, oh, my God, it makes so much sense. So I agree with you. I think that, you know, the reference is a great word. How we see ourselves, how we make meaning of who we are. And again, in for me, doing a reading for someone, which I love to do. It's my been doing for about, oh, since the stegosaurus walked. And <laughs> he that to me is helping someone to find something in themselves. My readings are different. They're not fortune tellings. I don't tell you what number to play. 
I, I had a couple really amazing hits on names, but that's not my goal. As Herb Dewey taught me, the idea is to give some, someone something that can help them to realize more about their life themselves. So if anybody is thinking of having a reading with someone like myself, you know, I'm not your fortune teller, though I could tell you okay. about good fortune. Right. Okay, now in your first chapter, you refer to a bridge between the realms, and I think we maybe have gotten into a bit of what the realms are, but could you say more about that? Is that the multiverse or, or, yeah. or what? Yeah. Well, in, in a lot of ways, what I meant in the beginning, and it's morphed through the book to the bridge between science and more paranormal realms, even though I didn't use that word in the book. I might in another book. But in the beginning, I'm talking about from the realm of the more formalized, medicalized, um, formulaic, methodological approaches to therapy to an approach that is intuitive where using all of the self, the therapist self, listening for the intuitive wisdom of the client and using that. That's the realm that I'm talking about where intuition comes in and it makes the therapy clinical because clinical skill is important in my opinion, but it takes it into an art. It becomes, as my mentor and beloved friend and teacher Jeff Zeig says, it becomes, the therapy becomes gift-wrapped with the metaphor, with mm. the psychic idea, with the intuitive insight. So it's the bridge between the tradi- traditional moving towards less traditional, but that's also an irony, because what is now considered non-traditional are the old traditions. And those old traditions are what Scott Miller and his associates talked about in that article I mentioned, how psychotherapy lost its mm-hmm. magic. Okay. Are there clients to whom you have listened, as you said, and, and uh, made a judgment, and then taken this approach, and it has it worked? Yeah, the sort of thing that's happened to all of us on our own callings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't always know. I mean, you know, someone might decide not to follow through because something didn't feel like the right fit. But typically, if someone continues in therapy, and I'm blessed that many do, that that will say to me that something's working. One of the things I do as a therapist, also as a psychic, is to check with people all along the way. Is what we're doing working? <clears throat> Are you getting what you need? So that I, I try not to just guess. And if you're not getting what you need, can you tell me what it is that you need more of or less of? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the one question that's uh, on the minds of everyone, I'm sure, is what do your colleagues think of this, your more conventional colleagues? I'm very blessed that my colleagues are very supportive. Wow. And, you know, there may be colleagues that who have looked at my book or heard me speak who go, oh, she's, she's crazy. But that is not the feedback I'm getting. The feedback I'm getting is we want more, we want more, we want more. That's great. Um, this is why I'm, I'm so excited about the book. In 2017, I did a program at the Evolution of Psychotherapy. I didn't teach it. I was a 
participant with a program that Scott Miller did in about his research in psychics. He's discovered that psychics can get as good results as therapists in certain situations, which is fascinating. Therapists don't like to hear that, by the way. Hmm. But after the program, people came up to Scott and to me and to and said, we've been doing this. We've been lighting candles. We've been lighting incense. We've been talking about spirits. And we've been afraid to say it. We want to hear more. We want to do this more. Hmm. So the work is really attracting people. And, of course, it's not going to attract the people who think it's nuts. So I don't have a random sample. But right, I can right. tell you that, that my most treasured colleagues, including the women who are my teachers in social work school, are so supportive. Two of them came to a program where I did psychic readings, and they said, Betty, we had no idea this is what you were doing. This is amazing. So I'm, I'm really blessed. And um, if a colleague out there is listening and thinks it's crazy, let's talk. I would love to talk to you, too. Um, and if there are colleagues out there, I'm teaching. I'm going to be developing seminars. If you're interested, I'm going to be teaching more about using metaphor, using an intuitive approach. Please be in touch. Okay. I'm doing more mentoring now than uh, now that the book is out. Okay. So to expand that question, yeah. do you see uh, a um, – well, of course, there seems to be within – first of all, our gripe with science, and we have tremendous respect for science because the, the, the discipline of thinking is critical in a field yeah. as, as slippery as, as the paranormal, uh, yeah. as much as you can apply it. But the issue is that you've got sciences that don't talk to each other, scientists, and you've got the uh, the old 18th century materialist paradigm, okay, uh, in pretty much conflict, or at least not not speaking with newer trends, uh, even in the, the edges of quantum mechanics, uh, psychology, which they've never liked in the first place, never mind transpersonal psychology, which gets into spirituality and, and more human factors that wouldn't be measurable in a lab necessarily, things of that kind. Do you see that rift being healed in any sort of way? Oh, boy, Paul, I I hope so, and I think so. My My chapter 15 in the book is Where Wisdom Meets Science, and I try to touch on some of those connections you know what's going on in the brain that we think about as um, just science that's also something beyond science I hope that there are changes happening I think that there are changes happening the colleagues that I talk to are able to think about this as connection rather than as disparate ideas so um, I quote Terry Marks Tarlow in the beginning of chapter 15. She wrote a wonderful book on um, the psychobiology of intuition. I'm not sure I got the title right. I'd have to go pull it out of the shelf. But when the highest wisdom strikes a universal chord, then the implicit knowledge of ancient people sometimes is borne out later by scientific proof. Yeah. So... There are many people who are believers and studiers, and she is one. Another one is Simone Wright, who wrote a wonderful book. And the, the references are in the back of, of Other Realms, Other Ways, who talk about 
more of the scientific underpinnings of intuition. Um, that isn't necessarily my field of inquiry, but I'm inquiring a, quite a bit about it because it's important in my work with intuition. One of my favorite quotes from Stanton Friedman, uh, the uh, grandfather of modern ufology, who was a good friend of ours and, as a matter of fact, wrote the forward for the book Behind the Paranormal uh, to which you referred. Uh, one, one of my favorite quotes from him is, is rather glum, but nevertheless true. Uh, he, in referring to Max Planck, the physicist, uh, he said that um, people with, uh, it's, it's not that people with the old ideas accept the new ideas. The people with the old ideas die, and the only people left are the ones with the new ideas. So, oh, so whether that's what it takes, I don't know. But it is good to hear that uh, that progress is is being made. Now, well, why don't we uh, before we burn up the hour? Why don't we uh, talk about uh, you, tell us about your website, your books, where people can get them, and where people can find out more about you? Oh, thank you so much. So the website is bettyfriedson dot com. That's easy to remember. I have a brand new YouTube channel which is just been up a couple of months. Oh, yeah. But um, the book is Other Realms, Other Ways. I can hold it up. There we go. There we are. Cover art on both covers by my two granddaughters. Have it here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And um, you can reach me through the website. I would say if people want to email me, they let you know, and you can give them my email address. Um, Thank you, Ben. It's available. The book is available, and also Soul Mother's Wisdom is available on Amazon. And Soul Mother's Wisdom also, I'll give it a little plug, it, um, it's got a lot of parenting information. That's another area of my particular interest and expertise. It's also got a chapter on forgiveness, on stress management, on my journey as a psychic person embedded in my life history, which is parallel to how I work with my clients, essentially. Okay. So, on Amazon, thank you. All right. Uh, not that you don't have a very attractive head, Ben. But, uh, uh, I'd, I'd beg to differ. All right. Well, <laughs> anyway. uh, Betty, have you um, had some clients, who, and maybe to hark back a bit to Peter's question, mm-hmm. uh, have you had some clients who uh, maybe have a paranormal component in their experience or in their case that, that, that's creating problems, whether it be uh, ghostly stuff or, or, or uh, possible alien abduction or, or sightings or things they believe are happening. Uh, have you had that, and does it complicate things? Oh, it's, it's, it's a good question. I really haven't had anybody come that, who says I'm being haunted by a ghost, but a lot of people are being haunted by ghosts of the past, that are not necessarily a real ghost uh-huh. that you can uh-huh. see with your eyes. I've had one experience of that only. And um, so I might look at it as ghosts. But it, people coming essentially for an exorcism, no. But that's another metaphor for exercising some of the traumas of the past. So I certainly wouldn't be averse to working with somebody with that problem, but we'd have to make some clinical differentiation um, of, you know, whether what they really needed is intuitive work or they needed something more like medication. So that would be clinical assessment. Now, there's a term in your book, and you probably covered some of this already, but uh, just in our last few minutes here, 
There's a term uh, that kind of intrigued me, the inner game of psychotherapy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what, could you just briefly explain what that is? I borrowed that from the books that were popular, I think, in the 80s or 90s, the inner game of tennis and the inner game of golf. Oh. <laughs> and so basically I just cribbed off that because the inner game of psychotherapy is using your, one's own intuitive skill. So I want to make a point that I tried to make earlier that you've just given me the opportunity to make, that intuition isn't just about what you don't know. It's an amalgamation. So as a therapist, it's an amalgamation of my training, my practice, my experiences, and the hunches, the ideas that come to me, like the hex or other things that have come to me or come to any therapist. So it's paying attention to those things. So that's the inner game. And the other piece I wanted to use as a metaphor is we talk about acing our game. And so that was also a play on becoming an ace therapist at the game of psychotherapy. Ah, okay. On the issue of hypnosis, okay, yeah. now when I was coming into this field in 1970, hypnosis was kind of falling out of favor. Now you and I are about the same vintage, so maybe you remember some of this. And then uh, then it kind of came back into vogue, and uh, it's still, now it's being used, and there's, there's some understanding of it maybe deepening. Um, <clears throat> nobody's ever been able to hypnotize me. All right. Maybe if we if we could meet up, you're not that far away. Maybe you, you can have a shot at it at one point. But um, what do you think hypno, hypnosis is valid, and to what degree? In other words, can people lie under hypnosis? Uh, and, and what do you think about that? People can do anything they want. They can tell you anything they want to tell you because they're not under your spell. They're under their own spell. Right. They go right. In a metaphor. They're in charge of themselves. So hypnosis, I mean, there's such a history, and, and you go through some history in your book of, of the thinking around the uh, paranormal. Paul Leslie, in his new book on themes, does a wonderful background of psychotherapy. Hypnosis is, is there because it's a, an experience. It's not a thing. It has features. I'm going to challenge you both, I don't know if Ben thinks he's never been hypnotized, but I'm going to challenge you both that you you can be hypnotized by whatever calls your attention and makes the rest of the world float away. That's a feature of of a hypnotic experience that's called dissociation. Unfortunately, dissociation for some clinical people just means pathology. But it's not. It means a change in attention and focus. So if you tell me, we can talk about this behind the scenes or now, your favorite Netflix show, your favorite HBO show, I will show you, prove to you that you've experienced something like being in a trance. Now, real hypnosis, the way I believe it through my mentor, Jeff Zeig, Dr. Zeig, is a duet. There's a facilitator and an experiencer. So you may not have had the experience of being hypnotized by someone else. We could talk about that. I'd be curious as to your experience. But being in a trance, which is one of the ways we define hypnosis, one of the features, you've probably been in a trance many times, both of you. 
Hmm. Well, we're going to try that. Can we wait till we sign off the air? Oh, yes. Yes, I, I, I have to uh, run the board. So Right, <laughs> yes. But uh, no, I mean, would you call the meditative state uh, something uh, I've done a lot? I learned from the Trappist monks of all people. Yeah, uh, I think you probably have been in trance many times. So trance has many overlaps with mindfulness and meditation. And that's in the various phenomena that one would experience in both of those situations. So it's a change in attention, a change in focus, a sense of the world drifting away. But also, it's the self-reference, I'm in a meditative state. The self-reference, I'm in a trance, that... You know, you may self-refer that I've never been hypnotized, and that may be true for you, because in my definition, and others in my my hypnosis community, we think of hypnosis as taking place in a relationship of two people, or even in a, a therapist or a facilitator in a group, but it's it's a relationship. So... I think that there are overlaps. There's also overlap with guided visualization. And that's a whole topic that's fascinating in terms of, you know, is is self-hypnosis really hypnosis? I would say it's really trance. And trance, again, is not a thing. It's a state, a state of being perhaps very quiet, perhaps a state where you're not thinking about what you have to do in the next hour. So it's a state of being absorbed in the moment, which is mindfulness. So there are overlaps, and um, a person who's talked a lot about that in the hypnosis community is a man named Michael Yapko, who's written some very, very heavy tomes around uh, hypnosis and transformation. Interesting. We... I think we're looking at another show here. And anybody listening to the show, driving your car, uh, take this with a grain of salt till you get home anyway. Indeed. All right. <laughs> so what, what's next for you, Betty? What are you working on? Well, what I, one of the things I want to do is, is get a, a version of this book out for the general public. So that's a big project. What I'm working on now is wanting to teach more and mentor other therapists and, be perfectly honest, do more psychic readings. I love doing the readings. They're, sometimes they effectively serve as short-term therapeutic experiences. So I want to teach more. If anybody's listening and you have, you know, an organization that um, would welcome my teaching on metaphor, an intuitive approach, or any of the things that we've talked about, there's so much in each topic. Just feel free to be in touch. Very um, good. So well, that's Betty, that's, that's about all the time we have. Betty Friedson, everyone, BettyFriedson.com. And we'll be talking again. We'll resume our conversations off the air, and uh, maybe we can do uh, some great things in the future. We'll see. Indeed. Great to talk with you both. Thank you so much for okay. having me. Very good. And my, my uh, regards to my favorite state of Maine. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll go to our announcements here. Uh, our show now has its own app. All right. It's... Uh, Pretty no frills and uh, no bells and whistles. It just has most of our past shows uh, with links to the videos uh, for the, the most shows, most of the shows since 2017. Then you get to see our smiling mugs. 
No, you don't actually. Oh. Our, our pictures, don't, you know, they, they don't. They, they, our faces don't fit on the little. Oh, that's thing. a good. That's a good point. However, we can put our mugs on there. We will be adding features. <laughs> if right? you, it, it'll just say mugs at the bottom. Now, uh, sooner or later, we'll be in the Apple and Google online stores, maybe in about a month. But uh, for now, there's a link at BehindTheParanormal.com if you'd like to download it. And uh, I believe that it will tell you when the next shows have been posted, the recorded shows. And, but it's uh, better than nothing to yeah, start. Yeah, hey, it's, it's something to start. And what do you want for nothing? Right, exactly. Right. So speaking of uh, wanting things, check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, uh, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And don't forget, our vo- books are available in some stores, and on Amazon.com and and BarnesandNoble.com. Now uh, I received a uh, I, I don't know a comment uh, pungent comment from some listeners recently that uh, our special shows are not available online, uh, such as the Rendlesham series of 2010-2011. Uh, that is our error. Uh, we reloaded uh, the the main shows first after a, a cyber attack a couple of years ago that really took everything down. Uh, back to 2009, we have one more year of that to go, and then we're going to start on the uh, Chief Radio Monthly Specials and some of the lesser-known special shows we've done s- in the past 13 years. Diving deep back into the old archives. Yes, well, a lot of people like to go back that far, so just uh, stay stay with us, and uh, that'll be those special shows, I don't know if they're going to be available on Apple Podcasts or any of that, but they will be available uh, at the Behind the Paranormal site. Uh, all the rest of the shows, uh, like today's, will be on YouTube, iTunes, etc., and the Paranormal Radio app, etc. So we're, we're, we're out there, and if there's any special show you can't find and would like to uh, be guided to, just let me know, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, drop me a line, and we'll uh, hook you up with the show that you want. Lovely. And uh, don't forget, our website, our web, our web site... Let's not speak Gaelic here. But. Yes, no, not not trying to. Our website uh, has a charity page along with uh, several good causes we have adopted on this show. Uh, now we have added on uh, new, a new charity, uh, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, run by our good friend Tom Spitaleri. Uh, other charities include USA Cares, Canadian, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, along with the milk fund here in northern Rhode Island. But it's not everybody gets to run a, cem- a cemetery. No, no, not at all. Tom is head of the board of trustees. It's, it's a very historic cemetery, lovely, lovely place, uh, and has some connections with H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. And uh, I, I was up there uh, kind of representing him because we're distant relatives uh, a few years ago for uh, sort of a dedication. It was really, really nice. So what do we have <clears throat> on the bookshelf for next week there, Ben? Well, next week, uh, so that's May 30th, and that's uh, Memorial Day weekend, actually, uh, we'll welcome a alien abduction experiencer, Lisa O'Hara, uh, who says she has found a way to fight back. Yeah, we usually don't broadcast live on Memorial Day weekend, but we're going to give it a shot. You know, we've had a lot of... We've taken some time off, so we're going to try Yeah, it. yeah, a lot, of, a lot of holidays happening in a row. Yeah, that's right. So we'll uh, leave you today with a thought from dear old C.S. Lewis... Uh, author of the Narnia books, you can't change the beginning, but you can start from where you are and change the ending. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Betty's still with us. What do you think of that, Betty? I love it. That's fabulous. 
We always have a pithy quote at the end of the show from the 13th century on up to modern times, so you never know what you're going to expect. Yeah. So. Hey, anything from the 12th century, it's right out. That's right, especially Rumi. Yes, yes, the, yes. The uh, yes. Persian uh, poet and theologian. So. Indeed. Anyway, well, we still have a couple of a couple of seconds here. If yeah. You, yeah. So. Well, hey, you know, you gotta love dear old C.S. Lewis, good friend of J.R.R. Tolkien and all yes. his buddies over in Oxford. The Inklings. There's the group of authors that included Tolkien and, and himself. Mm. So anyway, here we are. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.